ஜனாசலாக்கியாட்சிபுத்திரம்ஜமுரிம்மாதிரிங்கஷ்டாவதம் ராதாகுண்டம்கிரிபாயிகுருவாசிபாசிபாசிபியோவைஷ்ணவேவியமோநம நிகிலாஸ்ருதிமௌலிரத்னமாலதி நிராஜிதாபதபாங்கஜந்தாஜிமுக்தகுலைபாமனம்தஷ்டம்ஹரிணம்சாமிபித்தச்சரிம்சிதாத்கருணாவதிருணாக்கலம்ஷமாபயித
that can be limited to one day a year. I'm trying to imagine we can adjust. <clears throat> it would be very, very cruel to, <laughs> to limit ourselves or to limit others to reflect and go deep into all that the divine appearance of Mahaprabhu implies just once a year. <clears throat> we have this once a year occasion in, in a as a condensed excuse, so to say, to try to go deep into this, but hopefully in a way that overflows into tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and suddenly we have Gopunim again and, and so on, and we come into this dynamic. That's basically to celebrate Gopunim. It's not just let's get together once a year and speak about Mahaprabhu and then 364 days after Mahaprabhu is <laughs> just a concept or something. We, we are trying to to develop a relationship with, with God. So it's not just <clears throat> God as a theological concept, as an idea <clears throat> hanging on a cloud or somewhere else from in our heads above, but something that has to be actualized in, <clears throat> in the deeper chamber of our hearts. So, so yesterday, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> I gave a little talk yesterday in Spanish. Today we'll share in English something. Don't be scared. I won't be speaking in Spanish today. But the topic was kind of different. Yesterday we talked about how, how Sri Gorhari was the very deity of unconditional love, which is a I'm just mentioning this in connection to today's topic because it's a principle that sometimes we may uh, skip or, 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 or not be fully aware of the implications of unconditional love, which basically means another way of saying costless mercy. We use costless mercy more, maybe more than unconditional love, but the two are the same, which means we are being loved before we could even do anything about it. Even if we deny God's existence, even if we are against anything, unconditional love is, is already there without any conditions. The condition is not you are a nice devotee, you are trust, you are a very worthy person, you have followed every rule, and now God will love you because you have been such a good child. I mean, I'm not saying this to invite, invoke laziness. So if God loves me unconditionally, then I can start breaking all my principles. And he had a bigger chance to be unconditional in his love to me. <laughs> now we are not <clears throat> proposing such an idea, but <clears throat> if that happens without we calculating that, that will happen from God's side, basically. That's the principle of, of unconditional love, especially applied to someone like Sriman Mahaprabhu, who is the very pinnacle of compassion and, and grace, Mahavadanya, Avatar. So yesterday we kind of explored some of the possibilities of what does it mean to be to be fully loved unconditionally without deserving it and without ever being able to deserve it, no matter how much we try, because that's the point. We may say, well, now we are aware that Mahaprabhu is loving unconditionally, us unconditionally, but it's not about let's try to compete with him and create merit to equate his level of unconditional love. The more we try to give, the more unconditionality keeps coming. So we are eternally defeated, basically. <laughs> of course, God himself experiences defeat in the hands of the love of his devotees also. It's paradoxical. So love is actually defeating and conquering both 
Bhagavan and, and Bhakta. So that's why love is the goal of life. It's not us, it's not Bhagavan, but it's Brahm. So <clears throat> the, the eternal substance with, which perpetually defeats both God and the devotees and allows this continue, continual interaction between the two. <clears throat> so yesterday we talked about that. Mahaprabhu being the very deity of unconditional love and, and us uh, not being, I mean, we cannot do anything to deserve that. We cannot uh, create that out of our own, but we have something to do in order to acknowledge that reality. So not to spend our lives unaware of the principle of unconditional love, of costless mercy. We say costless mercy, but costless mercy is not the same as priceless mercy. That mercy has no cost in the sense of we didn't do anything to deserve it. That's doesn't mean it has no price to pay in order to for us to become aware of it. You follow my point? I mean, God's unconditional love is there. But if we don't pay certain price, we won't become aware of that reality. And we will live a miserable life, basically. And the price is to be paid in coins, in currency of utter humility, we could say. Because if you are being... If you are receiving costless mercy from time without beginning, I, I cannot even say day one because there's no day one. <laughs> so from another time, you are being loved unconditionally. It means you never did anything for that to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the ego, that's humiliating, basically, because you are coexisting with something that you never deserved. And the ego doesn't like to deal with stuff that does not deserve. The ego wants to deserve. I did this, my merit, I obtained that. Mm, mm, mm. So that's the justice department. So that's why we generally cannot stay too much in the shelter of costless mercy because it's too much for the ego because it's a constant reminder, you don't deserve this. You never will deserve that, which is beautiful. It's not horrible, it's beautiful, but for the ego it's like, hard pill to swallow. So we cannot tolerate, as paradoxical as it may sound, we cannot tolerate costless mercy that much. <laughs> and that's why we run back to the realm of justice, karma, worthiness, deserving. The ego wants that and it has its price also. <laughs> so humility is the price to pay to remain eternally in the realm of unconditional love. If you are utterly humble, utterly humble, you, you won't have a problem with coexisting with something you will never deserve. And that's why Mahaprabhu says, Trinada Tisunichina. That's the type of humility he's instructing us to have, because that's the only humility that you that will allow you to stay with unconditional love forever, basically, and not run into the department of meritocracy, so to say. <laughs> So that was a brief recap of yesterday's lecture, since most of you do not speak Spanish. <laughs> and in connection to that, yesterday we spoke about Mahaprabhu being the deity of unconditional love. And today we are kind of in connection talking about how Sri Goranga Devi is the deity or the istadev <laughs> of what I like to call radical personalism. So we will explain what does it mean, of course. <laughs>
radical personalism could be another way to talk about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And Istadeva, of course, means deity. So the Istadeva of radical personalism is the deity of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Mahaprabhu is the deity of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. We are Gaudiya Vaishnavs. Gaudiya comes from Gauda Mandal, which is the place a day like today that Mahaprabhu appeared in. So he's our deity in our Sampradaya. Krishna also, but I mean, Mahaprabhu is Krishna. Remember, we are not speaking about two different guys here. No. <laughs> so, so our deity is Mahaprabhu in particular, who is Krishna, as we will see, in a very special moment, in a very particular emotional space, so to say. And that's quite connected with this idea of radical personalism. Personalism is we are personalists. We are not impersonalists. hope that's clear, just in case. <laughs> we are not supposed to be impersonal, although officially sometimes we say we are personal or we are monotheistic, but sometimes we run the lip service to the idea, but in practice we may still conduct ourselves in impersonal terms. So still there are big layers of impersonalism that are to be worked on for, our, for us to be radical personalists. Personal, it's only officially, it's not enough. You have to be radical. Radical means to the root of that. How be it we as personalists as we can be? As how much we can be as a person as we can be? I mean, we are persons, but how much have we explored the potential of being an individual, the potential of having a personality, the potential of relating with the supreme personality of Godhead? It's probably like to put it. That's very radical, personalist, supreme personality. He's not saying God, the person, the person of God, the supreme personality. There are personalities in, in the Godhead, and there is the supreme personality of Godhead. So if you want to relate with the supreme personality of Godhead, better you attain the, the supreme personality of yourself. Because you have a, a personality, but maybe not yet the supreme level of refining that personality that will correspond in a relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So for us, radical personalism is not only about us as individuals developing our individual, so to say, situation with all that it entails. We are given a whole series of lectures about that, so I won't torture you with a summary of my last 15 lectures. <laughs> but, but that's idea. But also radical personalism has to do with how that idea, again, is found to begin with in God himself. God is a person, the supreme person, the supreme personality of the supreme person, <laughs> so to say. Asri Krishna, Prabhupada will call Krishna the supreme personality of Godhead. But as we know, Mahaprabhu, as we say, is Krishna himself, but with some added features, so to say. Now, is Krishna experiencing something that, he has not experienced in the Braja Lila, which is what's going on in Sri Radha's heart. You know, that curiosity starts to consume the whole being of Krishna, and that as a, the result of that is called Sri Gaur Sundar. Mm -hmm. Mahaprabhu is kind of the god of curiosity, <laughs> because he's curious about tasting what's in Radha's heart, what she's seeing in me, how what's her love, what's her happiness. I'm curious. I'm not only curious like on some half-baked level, but he's burning with curiosity, <laughs> divine exploration. 
So Krishna embarks himself upon this journey of tasting the heart of Sri Radha, which is a very, as we will see, unprecedented, unexpected, risky, probably, journey. <laughs> but he has to do it. I mean, there is no way back. He, he knows that he has to. For him to be all that he can be, again, for Krishna to be the supreme personality of the supreme personality, so to say. That's why I like to call Krishna the supreme personality of Godhead. Mahaprabhu is supreme personality of Krishna. <laughs> because, and that's radical personalism. Krishna is personalist, but he wants to taste the full extent of who himself is and who his heart is, Sri Radha. And that's Mahaprabhu. The radical extent of personalism. God trying to explore his utmost li unlimited limits, so to say. Trying to taste it in the heart of Sri Radha. And that's we've made the play of words. Radical personalism is radical personalism. <laughs> Radhika's personalism. That's another way of referring to radical personalism. Srimati Radhika's personal Srimati Radical Personalism. <laughs> so so that's why we sometimes here we are talking about Gaudiya Vaishnavism as radical personalism. Because it has to do with Mahaprabhu tasting the heart of Sri Radhika in his utmost expression of being himself a person. And the result of that tasting, it's us trying to somehow you know, be sprinkled with the consequences of that experience. So that's what we call Gaudiya Sampradaya. Out of such risky experiment that God himself has engaged him in this, this laboratory that we call Gorlila, <laughs> experimenting the, the extent of his heart. Again, the laboratory explodes because it's too much what's going on there. The, the volcano erupts and the sprinkle starts to come and that takes takes the form of Archon Siddhi and Pranada and, and, and Mahendrani and all of us. We are like the byproduct of of that sprinkling, so to say. So, so today I'd like to share a few points in connection to these two. Okay, we say Mahaprabhu is the Isadeva of radical personalism. What does it mean? In which sense he, let's explore this in further detail. And as we know, Mahaprabhu is Krishna as a devotee. It's Krishna as a sadhaka, which is a very interesting idea. God himself wants to experience that, and he realizes the only way I can experience that is by becoming a devotee. So God becomes a, pra a practitioner, quote-unquote practitioner, quite accomplished, <laughs> but, but appears as a sadhaka. But of course, a totally exemplary sadhaka. That's why he his lila also is called sometimes the Acharya lila. Mahaprabhu's lila is called Acharya lila. He behaves in a way that serves as an example for us, sadhakas, to build up on our own devotional project. So Mahaprabhu himself is embracing the very deity and personification of this radical personalism. And we as sadhakas are to imbibe the way that Mahaprabhu himself is uh, <clears throat> embracing radical personalism. So today we'll see a few of those facets, how Mahaprabhu embraces, imbibes this idea of radical personalism, and what we are supposed to do about it as his followers. <laughs> Again, 
we have our deity in the sampradaya, but we have to do something with our deity. It's not just not wave some incense once in a while. Okay, that's my deity. <laughs> There's again a relationship between the two of us. There is a correspondence between what comes from the deity and what's expected from us to to do with that. It's not that the even if you want to talk in terms of art to bigraha, we say the deity, and the deities are not uh, blind or dumb or deaf or how do you say when someone cannot speak? Dumb. Okay. It seems so, but again, that's because we are all those things. <laughs> Even if you wanted to go beyond the altar, take, strictly speaking, philosophically speaking, according to our Sampradaya, God is in every atom, basically. If God is omnipresent, that He is, He resides in every atom. So try to imagine every atom is basically talking, expressing the presence of the divine. How much do we perceive that? That's another thing. Not to make anyone feel guilty, I mean, but. That's the highest type of vision, but at least in theory, we should know that's a fact. So everything is talking about the presence of the divine. So we should need to pay close attention. So we'll try to engage in that exercise today. So I'd like to describe a few uh, aspects of radical personalism, at least in, in the terms I used to describe them, and, and as we have been presenting recently them in in this series of lectures and a book and writing on that at present. And I would like to talk about aspects like vulnerability, like individuation, like knowing through unknowing, and like how to, call, how to find the spiritual world in matter. And how Mahaprabhu himself personified each of these things, principles in his own life and how we are expected to, again, follow our deity. <clears throat> so let's begin with vulnerability. First, always vulnerability has to be in place because no vulnerability, nothing else may come after that. So vulnerability, what's vulnerability? Tasty word? Hopefully so. <laughs> not a very popular one in any, any lexicon, any glossary, probably not even in the Gaudia lingo so much, but it's a crucial one, vulnerability. Something that sometimes is mis misunderstood with weakness or with Something unbecoming, something undesirable, something that lends itself for us to be exploited. But by properly expressed, vulnerability is exactly the opposite. Vulnerability will be the source of all, all empowerment. Because vulnerability means to open ourselves fully and the willingness to be filled and fulfilled by that openness and all emptying ourselves. I mean, you can expect to be fulfilled and filled if you are not if you do not empty yourself to begin with. Of course, we have to know in which direction to express that. <laughs> if not, that can lend itself to abuse. 
But vulnerability is crucial, and as we will see, it's the source of all empowerment. If we, we want empowerment, if we want inspiration, if we want divine love, first we have to learn how to be vulnerable. Which again, this world, that's not so valued sometimes. <clears throat> but it's a, it's a very, very crucial aspect of courage. Sometimes Brene Brown, a specialist in vulnerability, used to make this important point. Vulnerability and courage are synonymous. You may say, what? Well, it sounds like one is the opposite of the other. No? But he, she makes this exper experiment. She asks the people, try to think about any situation in your life where you had to be courageous. But a situation like that, try to think, a situation that you had to be courageous without necessarily having to risk, expose yourself to risk, to uncertainty or to emotional exposure. There's none. <laughs> and that's what vulnerability is about. That's the thing. Vulnerability is generally defined as exposure, risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And in order to be courageous, you have to be in that situation. Try to think if you go to war, if you have to face, confront something, it may be some degree of risk. It may be some degree of uncertainty. The control of this. I mean, if, you are, if I'm in my comfort zone, everything is under control. You cannot be courageous from there, from your sofa or something, so to say. No? <laughs> you have to enter liminal space, no? Un unexplored territory, unknown space. That, that's where vulnerability starts to appear. So we will see how Mahaprabhu shows all these phases of vulnerability risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure, how he opens himself to that in a supreme way. He inhabits that, especially in his experience of tasting Radhabhav. We know that Mahaprabhu's tasting of Radhabhav especially happened in the last years of his life when he was a sannyasi sanyas in, in Gambira. And by that, he also showed, which is the very... The essential quality of a sannyasi. Well, in the scriptures, the, the main quality of the sannyasi is called in Sanskrit, how about I give you a hint. It's, your name is included there. Abhayatwa, <laughs> we could say, which is fearlessness. Abhay means fearless, and abhayatwa means fearlessness. So I just say that the sannyasi should be fearless. Of course, each of us may have our own idea what, what does it mean. But basically, to be fearless, and not only a sannyasi, of course, no, don't, 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 don't exploit that idea and, and just keep throwing me out of the comfort zone forever and you just remain, oh, you are the sannyasi. <laughs> but abhayatwa and fearlessness means to be comfortable outside of the comfort zone, basically. To be comfortable with discomfort. <laughs> And to allow yourself to remain in those spaces where you are, we don't, you don't know what's going on, and you don't have control of the situation, but it's okay, because you are trusting higher order, so to say. A sannyasi is forced to remain. I mean, it's not forced, but it's expected to remain in that situation. Sannyasi is supposed to to be, be by himself in the classical 
model. He's by himself and he's wandering and begging, which means you don't know what will what's going on. You will know what will happen the next five minutes, if you will eat tomorrow, where you will sleep tonight. It's like uncertainty 2.0, so to say. <laughs> so that has to do with fearlessness. Again, it's another way of saying courage. And it's another way of saying vulnerability. Again, try to tie all these things together. So Mahaprabhu exhibited all of them. Remember, vulnerability, risk, uncertainty, emotional exposure. When he wants to taste Radhavav, oh, that's uncertain. Now he starts by uncertainty. What's in my heart? What's what's in her heart? What's the beauty she sees in me? I'm not certain about that. I don't know. Uncertainty. He's thrown into an ocean of uncertainty. What she's seeing in me? What what's what's in me? What's in her? Who am I? Who is she? <laughs> existential crisis, uncertainty. And he allows himself, I mean, he inaugurates the whole Lila, so to say, out of that uncertainty. You, you can see how much he embraces uncertainty. <laughs> and risk, another quality of vulnerability. It's risky. That experiment is risky. Again, Krishna wants to taste Radhavab. That's risky. What will happen to him? How will he end? As you know, Mahaprabhu in Gambura is rubbing his head on the on the ground and raw, on, on the walls and rolling on the ground. That's why she rather say, I cannot even think about, tolerate about the thought of that happening. I'm covering you with my, not only giving my heart, but my halo as well. But it's risky because again, it's like, you. nobody knew what happened with Mahaprabhu. One night he was floating in the ocean, the other night this and that. And But Mahaprabhu signed the contract. Let's go for risk as well. Uncertainty, that's signature, risk, signature. And the third feature of the vulnerability is, again, emotional exposure. Mahaprabhu is Krishna in full emotional exposure. I mean, he's exposing not only his own emotions, but he's exposing himself to Radha's emotions, to Radha's heart, to her emotional disposition and being totally affected by that. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability has to do with allowing yourself to be absolutely affected by what's coming to you. That's to love, basically. Ultimately, love means you are so open that whatever is coming is affecting you totally. And that's why we generally are terrified about love. <laughs> because we don't want to be changed. We don't want to be transformed. Whatever seems to affect our what we think, who we think we are. <laughs> We generally like have a whole array and parade of defense mechanisms, so nobody changed us. But at the same time, our lack of change and transformation is our greatest source of misery. But when the opportunity to change comes, it's the thing that we fear the most. It's it's paradoxical. We're a personified contradiction. Yeah, <laughs> the thing we need the most is the thing we fear the most. That's condition. Conditioned life, basically. Awakened life means I understand what's going on and I'm willing to embrace what I really need. So Mahaprabhu is showing this here. He's extremely vulnerable, again. <clears throat> Risk, uncertainty, emotional exposure like nobody else. But the result, again, paradoxically of that vulnerability is empowerment. Mahaprabhu is the most 
empowered face of the absolute for us God is the most volcanic. He's compared to a volcano, but Trilasida Maharaj, the golden volcano of divine love. Try to play out the implications of that analogy. Try to get closer to an erupting volcano. That's powerful. It's too powerful. You cannot stay too close of that. He was that. He was the most empowered moment of the absolute, but the most vulnerable one. So try to see the correlation between vulnerability and empowerment and try to draw the implications to your to our lives of sadhakas. So we stop being afraid of vulnerability and we get a taste and we understand, oh, vulnerability is the prelude to empowerment, to the empowerment that I may need. So that's the God we worship. Sri Gauranga Dev, our deity is almighty, they say like this in English, almighty, but all vulnerable also. If you only keep the almighty, you only have half God. <laughs> You're only worshiping half your deity. <laughs> almighty, all powerful, not only that, let's go to the other equation which makes a full circle, all vulnerable. That's the Nara Lila of Mahaprabhu of Krishna. Fully human, fully divine. Full Aishvarya, but full Madhurya also. And Madhurya means not only sweetness, means vulnerability. Just look for a moment at Krishna and Vrindavan. He's completely vulnerable. He's totally wounded in every single sense of the term. His friends throw him on the ground by wrestling. He's literally wounded. He comes back with new wounds. In the night, he's having Rasalila with the gopis, another type of wound. All of just all the things they are the same, coming from the same source. Shh, don't say it too loudly, so you may hear. You don't want to disturb the lila. <laughs> he's wounded by the arrows of Cupid constantly. So that's a god we worship, a wounded god, vulnerable. <laughs> but that's what creates the charm. If you take away the vulnerability, it's like hmm, boring. It's too powerful. It's too much. And like, like I gave that example. You have this series here in the what is in the U.S. like Superman, and in the in the in, in initial chapter of the Superman, the initial years, he was basically invulnerable. Nothing could kill him. He was all powerful, almighty Superman. <laughs> and the interesting thing is that the readers of the series eventually became bored. Because he was too powerful. They couldn't relate with such a person. It was nobody could kill him. He was always winning. Nothing would hurt him. It was like, so everyone started to stop buying the series. They started to think how to keep the clients on. So they introduced say, kryptonite, kryptonite, and some other stuff that make Superman vulnerable, which was the result of that. Everyone started to read it again. It's attractive, it's charming, interesting, even if you don't know why. But in intuitively, you're attracted to vulnerability. Like we were saying yesterday when we were watching Nitai's baby, Doji, and everyone, a baby comes one year, two years, even four or five years over there. <laughs> and, and without your knowing, you are charmed by a baby. You're like, oh, everyone is kind of like, and it's, but one of the why one of the reasons for that is because a baby is such a vulnerable 
is in such vulnerable situation, totally exposed, totally fragile. And again, vulnerability is attractive and charming. So it's interesting that we relate all that, even how that plays out in, 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 the, in, the, in the Supreme, not only in us. So Mahaprabhu is giving that example. Almighty, all vulnerable. <laughs> Please don't worship God half-baked, but fully include the vulnerability. And Mahaprabhu again is teaching that. Be humble, be vulnerable, basically. And then Kirtaniya Sadahari. You will always empower to glorify Hari. Vulnerability first, empowerment later. So if you at some point in your life as a sadhaka feel I'm lacking empowerment, I'm lacking enthusiasm, inspiration, pay attention which may be the corresponding aspect of vulnerability that you are neglecting. <laughs> and by properly embracing that and expressing that, the corresponding type of empowerment will come. <clears throat> so anyhow, some words about Mahaprabhu and and, and the quality of vulnerability in connection to him being the deity, the Ishtadeva of radical personalism. Let's go to a second one, which is individuation. I don't know if you have heard this term before. This, base, this is a term coming from modern psychology, from Carl Jung, but nonetheless, it's something that is totally applicable to our Gaudiya Sampradaya. So individuation, again, has to do with the idea of becoming an individual, individuating yourself. You're an individual, but still you have to, how to say, extract and polish all the different aspects of your individuality. You have to work on your physical, mental, emotional layers and actualize, maximize, upgrade that for us in the service of Bhagavan. We have a very interesting philosophy. <laughs> of course, I know that Srila Prabhupada say we are not this body, and I, I understand the point, but in another sense, as we know, if we engage our body, physical, mental, emotional, fully in the service of Krishna, that becomes fully spiritualized. And that will accompany us in eternity in service to Krishna. That's why someone in that state, the body is put with salt and preserved to indicate that that body remains fully transcendental serving Hari in the Lila. Oops, sorry. So we are not this body, but we can be. <laughs> we are not this body. This means the way you are conceiving your body now, that's, no, that you, that's not who you are. But if you start to engage your body, mind, service, emotions in the service of Hari, it all becomes spiritualized and you can say you are that body <laughs> because you can even serve Bhagavan eternally there. So individuation has to do with paying attention to all the layers of our personality and, and properly integrating them, not rejecting stuff. Our tradition is not about rejecting, but it's about integrating, you know, incorporating everything in the context of bhakti. Jiva Goswami uses the term Sangha Siddha Bhakti, which means not everything is bhakti intrinsically, but everything has the potential to be become a part of bhakti. Mm -hmm. Like baking potatoes is not bhakti. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's not that Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu quotes the 64 angas of Bhakti and one is baking potatoes. No, it's not, it's not there. But you can bake potatoes in the context of Bhakti. And then you have your baking potatoes as an anga of Bhakti. <laughs> and so on, anything. You can clean the, the carpet as an anga of Bhakti. Cleaning carpets is not an, not an anga of Bhakti. Buying carpets is not an anga of Bhakti, but you can do all that in service of Radha Gopin, and that's an anga of Bhakti. Of course, I don't want to cheapen the whole thing. Of course, for, for, for you to see everything as an anga of Bhakti, you have to be deeply engaged in the main angas of Bhakti and sort of see the Bhakti. It's not allow oh, everything I do is bhakti. Mm. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> so individuation has to do with again learning to begin with to be proper. Let's put it in this way: learning to mm, to to offer our humanity to Bhagavan. We are humans, and we want to enter a human-like lila. We mentioned not a lila. So, what are we doing with our humanity at present? So individuation has a lot to do with that. Mahaprabhu showed that in his example. For, him, for example, when he met Ramananda Roy, famous conversation they had, Ramananda Sambhat. As we know, Mahaprabhu asked Ramananda Roy, what's the highest goal in life and what's the way to attain the highest goal? Sadhya, sadhana, tattva. So which was Ramananda's first like proposal. Barna Ashram. And Mahaprabhu rejected that, as we know. Now I want to make a point with that with that rejection. <laughs> Barna Ashram in, in essence has to do with becoming balanced human beings according to our acquired nature. Put it like that. It's not about caste system of discriminating who is higher or lower or stuff like that or going neurotic about which is my barn of who is seeing this and I'm creating all like hierarchies and, and, and overemphasizing something that nonetheless still in one sense relative. In brief, barn ashram is situate yourself in the world according to your vocation and nature and so on in a way that you are balanced integrated human being so you can offer your humanity to Radha Gopinath, to Mahaprabhu. Because again, you want to be a member of a Leela who is fully human. Nara Leela means fully human. Human-like, just to clarify, human-like doesn't mean the like in the human-like doesn't mean uh, somehow human. Human-like means fully human or fully divine. So the like has to do with the fully divine. <laughs> it's not fully human. They are not actually human. They are fully human there. They are more human than we are here. <laughs> we are not very human sometimes. We are more inhuman than human. We are human-like in another sense. <laughs> we are human-like. <laughs> Still not. That's the like for us. Still not fully human. They are fully human because they are, they are human-like because they are fully human, but fully divine at the same time. We are not fully divine and not fully human yet. That's another. So follow. So, but we are expected to enter that place, which is fully human, fully divine. 
but we realized I'm not half human and half divine anything yet. So we have to work on that. So Barnashram means to be properly human, let's say. Maybe not fully human, properly human. And offer that in the context of bhakti, so that properly human becomes fully human. So Mahaprabhu is rejecting that as the goal of life because Ramananda Roy is not promoting yet fully human. He's promoting properly human. But Mahaprabhu asks, what's the ultimate goal of life? But the fact that Ramananda Roy first mentions that, although it's not the ultimate goal, is maybe the first step to have in place in order to attain the ultimate goal. So even Mahaprabhu is rejecting that. He's rejecting that as the ultimate goal, but not as something very important in order to attain the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. You follow my point? It's not that Mahaprabhu is rejecting be properly human, which Barna Ashram is about. So by that rejection, but by Brahmananda placing that point first, he's making this point. First, be a good human. I don't care if you're a Godi, a Muslim, and, is, and, and Christian. First, show me your humanity. Don't come to me claiming your religious superiority and we have this and we have that. If you are not properly human, you are using ideas of transcendence. Do not be as human as you should, basically. And we can do that a lot. We can invoke ideas of spirituality to evade our humanity. But our transcendence is fully human, so we don't have escape. <laughs> if you want to talk to me as you, about your Gaudiya idea of transcendence, which is mine also, you can escape speaking about humanity. So we have to always go back there. So individuation is validated by Mahaprabhu. Another way of also talking about individuation would be, okay, Mahaprabhu is... Individuation means you have to develop yourself as a person, as a human, and each one will be unique, and that's perfect. We are not here promoting everyone should be the same. All of you should fit into this box. That wasn't meant to be what's meant to be a devotee. Be careful with those like monochromatic ideas of personality. All you are supposed to fix that box. No, each one is unique. And that's what Mahaprabhu showed with his associates. Now the associates of Mahaprabhu were totally, were very different. It's not that every follower of Mahaprabhu is supposed to be relatively sim. No, there. You see like a Mukunda, Mukunda playing for uh, to Mahaprabhu. What's Mukunda? Yeah, Mukunda. No? Give me um, give, give me all the, the the reactions of all the people in this world, and I remain here paying for their reaction. But take all of them with you. So extremely, how to say, extremely sensitive to that side, no? compassion towards every single person. And then you have another associate of Mahaprabhu, like Pundarik Vidyanidhi. He wouldn't, he wouldn't exhibit any type of compassion like that. He was just sitting on a sofa, smoking a hookah, and his abadut like Lila absorbed internally in the Lila, but he will not ex ex exhibit extreme compassion for the people of this world, which is not a fault. It's just that's his way, his individuation went in that direction. <laughs> and each of these devotees of Mahaprabhu showed different faces, but all of them are beautiful and complementary. 
it's not that Ponderek was not compassionate. I'm not saying that. It's just that that was not the main feature of how his personality expressed in the Lila. And others did. It's not that who is better, who is worse. So in the same way, all of us who are expected to become eventually associates of Mahaprabhu are to be willing to offer our own unique individuality in service to him. We cannot just offer to him like a generic template. That's me, Mahaprabhu. <laughs> An abstract sense of personality without fully polishing all that we can be. That's not the final offering. That's not cooked yet. Mahaprabhu said, put that back in the oven a few minutes more. <laughs> this is raw. Mahaprabhu is not, it's not a raw food. That's not his main <laughs> deal, basically, here. No? So, And Mahaprabhu himself, as we mentioned, he gave this example of individuation, but becoming all that he can be, Krishna, attaining this upgraded experience of himself as Gorhari by, by tasting Radha's Bhav, the Supreme Personality, of Krishna. Try to ruminate on this idea of the supreme person. I mean, that's incredible. The Prabhupada said so many times that we may take it for granted, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, supreme person and, and make it mechanical. But there's so much insight in that idea. The supreme personality of God. <laughs> wow. Not only God, not only God with personality, but the supreme personality of God. And now we have the supreme personality of Krishna again. <clears throat> In his human divine expression. And also one last point regarding this idea of individuation that Mahaprabhu showed. Individuation also has to do with dealing with our present stage, wherever we may be. And for most of us, our present stage will be called, among other names, Anarthanibriti. So Anarthanibriti means basically to turn false values into real ones because that's what anartha is anartha means false value artha means value anartha means false value so nibriti means get rid of false values but you get rid of false values by finding the real value it's not that for example i can if i see this bell and i see oh wow i can use this bell to throw this on the head of shamsaki Sorry, it's an example only. Who knows? The subconscious sometimes picks itself. <laughs> Everything's okay with Samsaki. Nothing personal. So that's a false value. That's an anartha. I mean, I'm not seeing this for what it is. No, I can use that to pray, please, Bhagavan. I'm just using it to harm a bhakta, a Vaishnav, Vaishnavi. That's horrendous. So that's a false value. I'm not seeing the real value of this. I'm just seeing this, this in terms of what it's not. So that to get rid of the false value doesn't mean I will throw this belt through the window. The false value is not the belt itself. It's in how I'm conceiving that. So to, to change unorthodox breathing means not to reject anything again, but just find the real value of the thing. So now, okay, that's the real value. Let's use this belt to invoke a sound that is pleasing to God. So unorthodox breathing is the same. It's just... My misreading of reality has to be turned into what it should be. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot to do with individuation. Again, who one becomes as a person. And Mahaprabhu is praising that. He's praising how his devotees engage in an Arthanibriti, how his devotees engage in individuation. Remember the famous Lila of 
Gundicha, Gundicha Marjan Lila, the cleansing of Gundicha Temple. What does Mahaprabhu do before the devotees start to clean the temple? Remember, the cleansing of the temple represents Anarthanibriti. So Mahaprabhu, before they start to clean, they he brings a garlands and he garlands each one of his devotees. And then he brings sandalwood paste. He starts to decorate each of his devotees. He starts to like a ornament all of them before they get messy. <laughs> That's interesting. No? You generally do it the other way around. No? You get messy, okay, have a bath, and I put the garland in sandalwood paste. But he say, no, you are about to get into sacred messiness here. So I'm worshiping that. Wow. He's praising, he's validating, entering into that space of integrating your complexity, which we call also individuation. That's an art and you try to accommodate the inner landscape. So Mahaprabhu is glorifying and decorating each of his devotees doing that. So that's how we know how Mahaprabhu himself is <clears throat> exhibiting and validating this other face of radical personalism, which is individuation. So let's go to another one, which is a very interesting one, which is this idea of knowing through unknowing, which I know it may sound a little counterintuitive, so sorry for for that, but this is a very important point because many times we just want to know and to know positively, like what's this, what's that, like for example with God, who God is, and you try, and we Godias have a lot of information about who God is, which doesn't warranty that we have gone through transformation. Information is not the same as transformation. You can know a lot about God, but another thing is to know God. Make the difference. It's just one word, but it makes a whole difference. I know about God. I know God. Know God means I love God. You can know about God, and it's great. <laughs> but also, it's important to when you know, especially a lot about God, as Godias do. It may be tricky because we may forget that God nonetheless remains eternally a mystery. <laughs> it will be always more what we what you don't know about him than what you know about him. So if we know a lot, at one point we may get complacent and think, I've, I know who Krishna is already. I can tell you, I can talk to you for hours about all these details. So I know who he is. So if you think like that... <laughs> Okay, be ready for Bimohan Lila, like the one Brahma went through. Because Brahma had that same notion. I know who Krishna is. And then he saw Krishna in picnic, and he thought, he didn't thought, he didn't think, oh, I didn't know this part of Krishna. He thought, this cannot be Krishna, because I know Krishna. And Krishna said, oh, yeah? Okay, let's see. Let's see how much you know. You know after five minutes, the foreheads of Brahma are like spinning like wild. And Krishna make that point. No? Yeah, you knew me on some point, but you can never know me fully. God is unknowable, unknowable in one sense. Krishna says that in the Gita. That's chapter 8 or 9. He says, I know everyone, every living entity, I know past, present, and future, but nobody knows me. That's a very interesting, a very mysterious notion. A very humbling one. Because you have to remain humble in front of the mystery that God is. 
And that keeps the whole thing interesting and upgrading. If you conclude, I already know who Krishna is. From that, from that moment on, you start to become boring. It's like, I already know who he is. That has to do with control. I know him. I control him. But we are supposed to not try to control him. <laughs> and someone may say, okay, will you say, Maharaj, that nobody can know Krishna fully? But we could say that you can love Krishna fully. Full, you can have full love for Krishna. And to love Krishna means to know Krishna. Because love, bhakti is considered Raja Vidya. Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam. The king of knowledge is love. So if you love, you know Krishna. So if you love Krishna fully, you know Krishna. You can know Krishna fully. And the reply is, no, sorry. <laughs> Even if you have Prem Bhakti and you live, you are already in the Lila. Yeah, you love Krishna fully, but you can always love Krishna more fully. You follow? Because that's how it works. Krishna is always expanding his own limits. He's always becoming more lovable more loving, his own loving capacity is reaching new heights at every nanosecond. <laughs> so you have to keep up with that. It's not that, but I already love you fully. I have Prem Krishna. Look, I, I received the, the card, Prem Bhakta. I came, if I'm here, it's because I reached that level. And Krishna says, yeah, but this is ongoing, it's an ongoing affair. It keeps growing, evolving. It's an ever evolving pattern. It's very dynamic. Mm -hmm. So my point is that, okay, if you love Krishna fully, you know Krishna fully, but nobody can love Krishna fully because love is always expanding. <laughs> so you can always love Krishna more, which means you can always know Krishna more through love. So it's, he always remains a mystery in that sense. Mm -hmm. Not only he always remains a mystery to us, tiny little jivas, he always remains a mystery to himself. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. God is a mystery to God, to himself. He doesn't know his own limits. That's There's a verse in the 87th chapter of the 10th cant of the Bhagavatam, where the, the Vedas personified are praising Bhagavan in that way. They are saying, we don't know your own limits, but let's be honest, you don't know your own limits because those limits do not exist. That's what the commentators say. You cannot know something which does not exist. And God's limits do not exist. So he cannot know those limits. <laughs> so he doesn't know <laughs> what to speak of us, he himself. And what to speak of Mahaprabhu, remember, God doesn't know the limit of his own glories and heart. That's perfectly depicted in the figure of Mahaprabhu, who is Krishna himself, wondering which who am i what's all that i can be which are my limits which are the limits of my own heart his heart is radha personified Radha is krishna's heart embodied and that unknowing not knowing and exploring gives us a result gorlila basically knowing through unknowing <laughs> and the gorlila is eternal remember that's an important point also is we say okay mahaprabhu Krishna's Mahaprabhu tasted Radha Bhav. He went through all these three, Radhaya, Pranaya, Mahima, all these three main purposes for his descent. He was successful. Great. I will say, sorry. <laughs> yes, but no. Why? Because, again, how 
Radha's heart is a bottomless ocean. So how can Krishna fully taste that? Again, you can never fully conclude the project. So that's why you need an ongoing project going on. And that's Nityanavadvi. That's why Gorlila is eternal, because there is no limit to how much Krishna can experience Radhava. He's doing that forever and ever. <laughs> mm -hmm. So again, that's Mahaprabhu. That's how we're so never be so sure about that you know who Mahaprabhu is. That's a great tempta temptation for the ego and for the mind. I already know. So I, when I know, I can control. And it's predictable. It's controllable. It's expectable. Expectable? Whatever. <laughs> Expected. You can control the results. This mechanism that we drive too quickly because of fear of trusting in something, to be honest. So we shouldn't be own it. We shouldn't be that sure that we know who God is. In that sense, we 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 are like I like this term. Okay, we are like we follow some form of theistic agnosticism. And agnostics say, "I don't know." So we are theistic agnostics. We worship God, we love Him, but we don't know fully who He is. We never claim I know. Like Rama said at the end of the, after his foreheads were spinning, he said at the end of his prayers, there are some people who say they know Krishna. And he said, let them say whatever they want. For me, in my case, I say the same thing a few minutes ago, Rama implied, but now I cannot say, I don't dare to say I know Krishna. It's too much vertigo for my head. So I'll stop saying that now. Hmm? So never be too sure that you know who Mahaprabhu is. In other words, remain open to endlessly know who he is. <laughs> Basically. It's not that you cannot know Mahaprabhu. Let's put it in this way. It may give more hope to you. It's not that you cannot know Mahaprabhu. It's that you can know him endlessly. In that sense, you cannot know. <laughs> Remember, he's not a concept. He's a person. We have to. We may have the. We may know the concept Mahaprabhu, but we have to meet the person behind the concept. <laughs> That's the goal of bhakti. You have to meet the person. You have to love the person behind the concept. And sometimes, whether we know it or not, we we create in our minds a concept of God that somehow is. It's comfortable for us. It's not too challenging. <laughs> and we stay with that concept in a comfort zone. But there's no relationship that we are developing. You cannot develop a relationship with the concept. <laughs> the concept is just a hint to the person and the relationship with the person. I was reading one, I read one quote the other day, very interesting, by the author of one book called The Shack. It's an interesting book about Christian Trinity. Sold 40 million copies, so some people liked it. <laughs> and this author says, but, but theology, or to have an inaccurate conception of God, but theology is like pornography, he said. Why? He said, because it's the imagination of a real relationship without the risk of one. Wow. <laughs> I'll repeat it. 
So Mahendrani writes the whole quote there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. It's recorded, no problem. You say, bad theology is like pornography. The imagination of a real relationship without the risk of one. It's an interesting idea. You in your mind think, I have a relationship. It feels like, but no, you're not taking risk. Again, no vulnerability. You're not exposing yourself to all that would happen in a real relationship. So that's not only with pornography, that with bad theology. With bad theology means, again, you create an idea of God, the concept of God in your mind, which is doesn't match reality, <laughs> but has no risks. That's why you create that idea, because you don't want to expose with all that it implies to have an actual loving relationship with someone like God. I mean, what may happen out of that? We don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm not having a clue. It's a little bit like we, we start to become nervous and anxious just because we don't know what's going on there. So we create an idea of God. So externally, and we convince ourselves, I believe in God. I know who God is. I know about this. But all that's in the comfort zone. We are not risking ourselves to be in a relationship with him. <laughs> and of course, the goal of our practice is to love Krishna. And again, love Krishna means a relationship of love with Krishna, not an idea in our minds. But we should be very careful about this point. And Mahaprabhu is showing that. Again, he's the very personification of God himself saying, I'm not so sure who am I. And I'm willing to know that and explore the implications of that forever. And he swims in, in Nitinavli. So that's our deity. So we are supposed to reflect the spirit of our deity as <laughs> his followers. So that's another point that Mahaprabhu is bringing to us in a day like today. Again, he's not appearing on earth a day like today just to, to play cartels, so to say. <laughs> He's bringing all this stuff that we are sharing and so much more, of course. We are just touching one point of an infinite line. So let me finish with one more, if you give me a few minutes. Uh, <clears throat> one more aspect of radical personalism that Mahaprabhu is the istadev of, which is this idea of how our Godia heaven, so to say, spiritual world, <laughs> is to be found here and now. Not somewhere else, not at some other point. And this is something that Mahaprabhu himself showed very clearly. The idea is the spiritual world is not a geographical place that is not here. It's not a, a, a 3D transferring that we will be taken by a, spaceship or something to Golok or it's not a physical place so you cannot attain the place in physic in terms of physical distance and transferring try to think about that <laughs> I mean at one point you won't be able to think about that but reach that point where smoke starts to come <laughs> in your attempt to think about that so the spiritual world we had a nice discussion <laughs> thank you for reminding me about that one so spiritual world is not a 3D transferring, a geographical place. It's a state of consciousness. That's Golok Vrindavan. That's Navadrim. It's not a place. <laughs> and if it's a state of consciousness, it's, it's 
I have to attain, I have to align myself with that awareness. And if that happens at all, it will happen in the here and now. It won't happen yesterday. <laughs> it won't happen tomorrow if I'm not doing something today for that to happen. It's now, here, present moment, we don't have anything else. God exists eternally in the present. He doesn't exist in past or future. He's eternal in the present. And Mahaprabhu was showing that. Vrindavan is a state of consciousness, in the words of Srila Siddhar Maharaj. She will go anywhere and see Vrindavan. He will see the ocean in Puri, as we know. No, no, it was not the ocean in Puri, it was the Jamuna. <laughs> he will see sand dune. That's Govardhan. And, 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 and you could say, well, but he was in Jagannath Puri. Jagannath Puri said, Dham, you can make a parallel with Brinda. No, 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 no. He was even outside of any dam when he was like in Jarikanda forest traveling. Jarikanda is not a dam. No. For us now, it's a holy place because of what happened there. But before that, it was just a jungle. And he was finding Brindavan there. He was in an ordinary jungle in one corner over there. But he was in the spiritual world. He was tuned, uh, tuning with that reality, basically. Mm -hmm. So Mahaprabhu is showing that again. It's a state of consciousness. Of course, that's more challenging <laughs> because that means I have to, to reach that, that state of consciousness here and now instead of thinking, well, I'm not there, I'm not there, I'm not there. But when I die, somehow or other, Krishna will be merciful and I will be transferred there. <laughs> it's, it's way more easy to think. Yeah, I'm following my four wrecks, chanting my 16 rounds, like someone told me some time ago. And I'm warranted that I will go to Golok. And I was like, but, I mean, I hope you go to Golok. I, I had nothing against that. <laughs> but it's not just a number. It's not just like I, I reached the number and that forces God to take me there. <laughs> to, to begin with, 16 rounds of what? Sudanam, right? Hopefully. No, no, it's now a parade. But it's 16 rounds. No, no, it's not, it doesn't happen like that. So it has to be a quality in our, not only chanting, but in our living as a devotee. And equality means a state of consciousness. That I, that's what gives quality to the staff. That was takes you to Golok. <laughs> it's not just I follow the rules. Again, we follow into the meritocracy. Remember, we spoke, this is about unconditional love. Not about following something and deserving, therefore, to be, it doesn't work like that. We are misreading mercy. So Mahaprabhu is coming on earth to confirm this fact. Again, you can reach everything here. Heaven is on earth. <laughs> even to, to make that point even more, we could say, and that's called the Vaishnavism. Again, I'm not making up my own theology, theology here. We hear that Krishna executes his leela on earth, right? You have heard the idea of avatar or divine descent. And we hear that Krishna is executing his lila on earth perpetually. When the, the lila ends in one planet earth, it's taking place in another planet earth, and so on, without stop. And Gore Hari, the same. The Gore lila is happening perpetually in some planet earth. So you could say, Mahaprabhu remains forever on earth. <laughs> so where do, where do you want to go? <laughs> 
Because if you attain eternal service to Mahaprabhu, you will be joining him in those exploits. So you will be eternally on earth. So be careful now as a sadhaka, being struggling with getting out of here as soon as possible forever. You will take, you have a surprise event. <laughs> you will, what's going on? I'm coming here again forever. So that's validating matter. Again, matter is not a bad word. As we spoke some time ago, remember one email with Pranada. And one thing is mundane, another thing is matter. Matter is not mundane. Mundane is our conception of matter or of anything for that matter. <laughs> but matter is not mundane. Xerodaxide vision is in every heart. Xerodaxide vision is in every atom. So every atom, matter, every atom is, is oozing with the presence of God. How can you call it mundane? <laughs> doesn't work like that. So we, we have to be careful as Godias not to be too mukti-oriented because our goal is not mukti. That was just to say, a devotee doesn't care to get liberated. What does it mean? There's nowhere to go. They already are where they have to be. <laughs> That's bhakti. I don't care to attain any form of mukti. Bhakti Notaku will say, even if I'm born as an insect, but in connection to you, no, no problem. So that's the point. I mean, I, I, going to Golok is not going somewhere. It's going somewhere inside, not outside. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere to go in, in, in other sense. Mahaprabhu mm -hmm. himself saying that in one Lila in Chaitanya Bhagavad, remember Sumati shared that with us, that he was sitting on earthen pots as a boy. And he will start to speak about the non the, the how matter is sacred, basically, and all dirty earth and earth and pots. But he will, like Dauji yesterday after lunch, no, the babe was sitting like, like self Abhishek of. <laughs> he was like, "Wow, great, <laughs> me. That's me in my best shape." And that was Mahaprabhu here, something like that. No, Sachi was like, "What are you doing? That's 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 not clean." I mean, he started to preach how matters and Shakti of Bhagavan and everything is in connection with Bhagavan is sacred. So how can you say that something is dirty and unholy? And he was right. <laughs> but you have to have the vision. If you don't have the vision, that's the mundane thing. Hmm. Mahaprabhu himself will make the same point by saying. When he was teaching, when he was a Sanskrit grammar teacher, every single Sanskrit word is the name of Krishna. You know this. So try to think about that. If every word of the dictionary, extend that to English, Spanish, whatever language you speak here, every word of the dictionary is the name of God first, means that all those words to with relate with everything imply the presence of God there first. So how can you think of everything, anything as unholy, profane, <laughs> if God is in everything? And God is in everything. That Krishna is omnipresent. Of course, that's his Aishwarya side. But you have to bear in mind the Aishwarya side for the Madhurya side to take place. Vishwanath Chakavartaku makes that point over and over again. If you take out Aishwarya, you don't have Madhurya. Aishwarya is the backdrop of Madhurya. So if you don't have this in place these things, Madhurya loses all charm. <laughs> so Mahaprabhu always say that. No? Every Sanskrit word is the name of Krishna. First. 
So everything, in other words, every aspect of creation is speaking about Krishna first. <laughs> and he says, Amanina, Amanadin, Amanina, offer respect to everyone. Or we could say offer respect to everything, even. Not only to people, <laughs> but to every atom. Of course, it may be a little impractical if you are offering pronoun to every atom, but I mean, you can attain perfection by that exercise if you want to try bandanam in that sense. Atom bandanam. <laughs> but that's the idea. Every atom is pointing to something bigger than itself. No? In theology, that's called the scandal of the particular or the principle from, from concrete to universal. So you can go to one, analyze one atom on creation and that's pointing you to everything else to its source so Mahaprabhu is mentioning this idea and again by validating the world of matter by validating matter as something holy he's also validating our bodies again the body is not necessarily something bad it's not something to an obstacle the body is one energy of Bhagavan is connected to God. So if my body is connected to God, while I won't connect with my body, if it's connected to God, I want to connect with those who are connected to God. That's sadhusanga, right? You connect with people who is connected to God, but with everything, is everything is connected to God ultimately. So everything is potentially sadhusanga <laughs> if you have the eyes to see. Hmm? So we are not promoting here disembodied spirituality, no? Like cut with matter and try to create this idea of ascending, transcending, but not learning to descend first. Hmm? So everything is connected with God. So by connected with what's connected with God, we are connecting with God. If we have that proper sambanda in place, everything will be a portal <laughs> to Bhagavan. That's what Mahaprabhu showed with his example. And we agree with that. I mean, I, I know many devotees who say, as we talked yesterday, last night, no? like everything is connected with Krishna. Do you agree? Yes. One of his name is Mukya Sambanda, which means he in relation to whom everything has its primary connection. Okay, everything is connected to Krishna. Okay. So are you willing to connect deeply with your body? No, 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 no. My body. Ugh. But you say that everything is connected to Krishna. So your body is connected to Krishna. Why? And then we realize, oh, oops. No. I'm not playing out the implications of my words. Because I say everything is connected to Krishna. But then I'm so disconnected with so many things that are connected to Krishna. <laughs> so we need to play out the implications of our ideas, of our Gaudi ideas. And when we do that properly, we will realize ultimately again, spiritual world is closer than what I think. <coughs> it's closer. It's there. Let me conclude with one quote, short quote by Srila Siddhar Maharaj that I just found in this connection from Subjective Evolution of Consciousness, which is a very interesting book in this connection. He says, of course, he's speaking about proper vision. He says, everywhere we will find the kingdom of God. Everywhere. Krishna's kingdom, Mahaprabhu's kingdom exists. We have only lost the proper angle of vision by which to see it. 
but it's everywhere. <laughs> and try to compare that with the idea of leaving this place as soon as possible and going to the kingdom. And now the kingdom is here. <laughs> but we are not here. <laughs> and of course, someone may say, okay, nice, Mara, so poetic, your words, and Shastrik, but... <laughs> That's the vision of the Uttam Bhagavad, the one who sees Krishna and everything and everything Krishna. I don't have that vision. I cannot imitate the highest devotee. I'm not proposing to imitate anyone. But if you accept that the, the highest type of vision finds heaven on earth, so to say, <laughs> then we have to accept the highest vision is the vision that fully corresponds with actual reality. You follow my point? If a pure devotee says, Golok is here, then I'm, I'm not having that vision, but I should at least align myself with that vision. That means to be a sadhaka. Sadhaka means I'm not a siddha, I'm not a perfect being, I'm not seeing what the siddha is seeing, but I'm trusting that see vision and I'm aligning myself to that vision. So if the, if the pure devotee says, oh, Golok here, I don't see Golok here still. <laughs> I see Alacha, but but Alacha is just a layer. Golok is, is, has the potential to reveal itself through Alacha. So so that's the idea. So again, I, I'm not. I'm, we are. We may not be Uttam Mahabhagavats, but if that's what an Uttam Mahabhagavat is seeing, then that's reality. So I should know, in theory at least, that's in potential is attainable to see everything here, to attain that state of consciousness. So anyhow, some words to conclude this section and Mahaprabhu's example and how he shares with us this idea of everything is here, everything is closer, that we don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> a way of repurposing heaven, so to say. <laughs> so this is a Gorlila that we are celebrating today, which again brings full circle back on earth, to our situation, to our full humanity. Remember, Gorlila is human-like, fully divine, fully human. In fact, Gorlila, in one sense, is more human-like human than Krishna-lila. Krishna does some pretty extraordinary things, like lifting a few big mountains. And Mahaprabhu is way more human-like we used to experience in many ways. In another way, it's way beyond Krishna, so to say. <laughs> But in another sense, the, the Odaria-ness of the Gorlila is reaching us in, in, in very human terms, very close to us. It's a very natural extension of Krishna Lila in a very generous disposition. So, so we are very blessed to have that in our lives. That's what we are celebrating today, basically, the extent to which the, the Odaria of Mahaprabhu is knocking on our doors to tell us heaven is right there in the corner it's not so far <laughs> so and in this way we shared some words regarding mahaprabhu sri gorangadev which again we consider the barista dev deity of radical personalism and again such a deity we have such a homework we have as sadhakas as members of the Gaudiya sampradaya but by his mercy by my by his unconditional love we will we have hope that Again, we are getting closer and closer to that goal, which again is always inside and it's always here and now. It's not somewhere else. So let's try to remain present and appreciative of all that still coming to us by the grace of 
Sriman Mahaprabhu and his followers. So Sri Sri Gorpurnam ki jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Aninam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind ki jai, Gaur Primananda Haribo Vancha Kalpataro Vyascha, Kripa Sindhu Vyeva Chapati Thanam Pavane Pyo Vaishnavityanam, Ananta Koti Vaishnavrind ki jai, Gaur Haribo. Thank <laughs> you.